Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is August Tarak, a serial entrepreneur and award-winning author who attributes much of his success to his 20-year stint as a frequent monastic guest of the Trappist monks of Mepkin Abbey. In our May 24, 2019 interview with Tarak, he talked about the 1996 skydiving accident that triggered the emotional crisis that sent him to the Abbey in search of spiritual solace, his Christmas Eve exchange with a monk named Brother John. John that led Tarak to write his Templeton Prize-winning essay about the purpose of life and his book, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, in which he describes how to apply the lessons he learned from the monks to achieve business success. In this episode, Tarak returns to Talking Business Now to discuss the life and leadership lessons he learned from his father, which he published as a tribute in Forbes.com on what would have been his father's 100th birthday. For example, aim past the target of being an entrepreneur, because if you become the best human being you can possibly be in every way, shape or form that you can be that, that will spill over and you, and you, being an entrepreneur will become the uh, trailing indicator, the byproduct, you being the best you can be. Aim for wisdom, aim for wisdom. And if you have wisdom, you have wisdom to be a great entrepreneur, and you have a wisdom to be a good husband, and you have wisdom to be a good father, and you have a good business to be a good community member, or whatever else you might you might decide that you want to do. the show, August. So glad we get a chance to talk again. I'm so excited to be back with you. Great show. People who maybe aren't familiar with your story, haven't heard the previous podcast, could you give us some context about the skydiving accident that really put you on the path that you are now and culminated in your dark night of the soul? Well, um, I started out back in college. I felt called to a higher purpose to find out what the meaning of life was. And and I, I set off on what I call my spiritual explorations, which took me many places. I was one of the founders of MTV back in 1981, so I was in the television business. Eventually, I ended up in North Carolina, and I was an entrepreneur. And I started working with college students, um, helping them answer life's perennial question. What is the life worth living? Um, how can I live my life uh, for a higher purpose? And um, these kids at Duke University... Um, talked me into going skydiving. It was, it was 1996, and it was a team building. And as I like to say, I was brave enough to jump out of an airplane, but too darn um, ashamed to admit that I was uh, uh, too damn old to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> so uh, I was in my mid-40s at the time. So I jump out of the airplane, and I smash my ankle to smithereens. I had two compound fractures mm. of the tibia and fibula. I end up in the hospital, and I suddenly start having horrible panic attacks and terrible, terrible depression. At first, I don't know where it's coming from, and then all of a sudden, I realize I'm confronting my mortality for the first time, and which exacerbated the panic. And then I reached back for what I thought was all this spiritual work I'd been doing for all these years, and there was nothing there. Um, and, uh, and that was really a terrible, terrible shock to the system. I finally got out of the hospital, and I was 
um, the panic went away, and uh, but I was terribly, terribly depressed, and I felt myself uh, getting more depressed, and I just felt like I was being sucked down some kind of cosmic drain uh, mm. uh, down into something, and um, and the first thing that happened, which I don't know whether we spoke about last time, was that I was working out at the gym, trying desperately to throw off this feeling of impending doom and uh, depression, and uh, I suddenly heard a voice say, um, not feeling too good, are you, Og? And I turned around, and there was this guy named Hugh, who I knew only from the gym, and he said, uh, I just, I was going to shake, I was going to say, well, it's none of your darn business at first, and then I was too weary, and I just nodded, and he said, yeah, it feels like your heart's broken, don't it? And I thought, wow, that's exactly how I felt for the last six months, but I didn't have words for it. So I nodded again, and he said, yeah, we call it the soul hole. He said, I'm here to tell you that you're in for so much, for two years of so much hell, you're going to be wishing you was never born, but you're going to come through it to the other side. God is going to be waiting for you, and you're going to love yourself a whole heck of a lot than you do more than you do right now. And that man turned around and walked away, and I've never seen him again. That had and, to be uh, unsettling. Oh, it was unsettling in many different ways, right? And uh, it was a tremendous prophecy. Mm. And um, so uh, a couple weeks after that, the phone rang, and it was one of my college students telling me that he was at, spending the summer at a Trappist monastery as a monastic guest, which meant that he was getting, he was staying silent with them, wearing a robe. He was basically a part-time monk. He was getting up at 3 in the morning, going to church for four, you know, on and off for the next four hours or so, then going to work in their farm for the rest for most of the day. And then, you know, he was just living the life of a Trappist monk. And something about him, I'd known him for four years, and there was something about his voice, and I just heard myself say, I got to come down there. I want to come. And he said, when? And I said, now. And I realized it was a Wednesday and I was at work. I was the CEO of my own company at the time. I was an entrepreneur. And I said, no, 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 Friday. And he said, let me ask Brother John. And that was the first time I ever heard Brother John's name. And he went and came back five minutes later and said, Brother John said, come on down. And then I came down that weekend and some incredible things happened. Spooky kind of stuff uh, happened that first weekend. And so I came down the second weekend and the third weekend. And then I eventually applied for monastic guest status myself so that I could go down over Christmas for three weeks and did. And that's when I had the amazing encounter between me and Brother John on Christmas Eve, which led to my winning the the $100,000 Templeton Prize seven or eight years later. So, Yeah, um, and which is now a book. And as I understand, that is uh, flying off the shelves or online orders. They're, they're just tremendous. And you're already in your second printing for 2019. And you may even have to ramp up more for the holidays. Yes, Brother John has been incredible. As a matter of fact, I was just at Ingram is the big distributor for books that supplies Amazon and all the bookstores with their books. Um, when you order a book, you don't order it from the publisher. You order it from Ingram, who has the warehouses, etc. And I just came back from their corporate headquarters, and they did a luncheon for Brother John, uh, 35 of their executives, and I got a chance to meet with them and talk to them. And, and it was really cool because they did a poster of me and a picture of me with the cover of Brother John, and it's going to be up on their wall. Uh, so I'm next to Michelle Obama and Doug Ramsey and all these Wow. Stephen King and all these big shots. So <laughs> Brother John has really been uh, tremendously, but I mean, I think it's really hitting a chord because the subtitle of the book is A Monk, A Pilgrim, and the Purpose of Life. And you know, as you and I spoke the last time I was on, we have a crisis in this country because people are 
you know, finding you know, there's so much meaninglessness. You know, there's so much suicide. The suicide. Um, the Wall Street Journal just ran an article, for example, that uh, for the first time since they've been tracking it, um, average life expectancies in America have gone down for the last three years for the first time. And the culprits are suicide and opioid uh, mm-hmm. overdoses, right. which by the, uh, I sincerely believe, and I'm going to be actually giving a speech next week at Catholic University about this, that, that, that this is a sign of the despair, of meaninglessness, of people you know, desperately looking for meaning. So I think that the fact that Brother John is called the monk, a pilgrim, and the purpose of life is really resonating with people. Not yeah. to mention that it's a great Christmas story, too. Oh, it is. It's a beautiful Christmas story. And, and so people can uh, go out to Amazon and get a copy. You wrote a beautiful tribute to your father on what would have been his 100th birthday. And so many of the the lessons that you talk in there about apply to leadership as well. So can, I'd love to go through a few of those, uh, if, if you don't well, I mind. The first we could go through is, is the, I don't know which number it was, but my father uh, taught me to just go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said so many of the things that have uh, happened for me, oh, be, be bold. I think that was what I called it. Be bold. Yes, be bold. And, um, and I said, I got a letter from J.D. Salinger and I, and I got a scholarship to prep school and I got my job at MTV and, and I started my own business on 2,500 bucks and I won a hundred thousand dollars the first time I ever tried to write something. Um, but, uh, by just being bold. So how did I get Rick Warren to endorse my book? <laughs> I just, I didn't listen to my publisher and I picked up the phone and I called uh, his office up there and I, and I cajoled and I talked and I got an article and, you know, bought, lo, and lo and behold, Rick Warren said, okay, well, I'll give you an endorsement. Yeah. Um, ask, you know, what the Christian, you know, what is the, the Christian, um, you know, truism or aphorism, ask and it shall be given to you, ask and it shall be answered. That's that right. was the one I, I, I should have said, there should have been 14, 14 for my dad, um, because um, my dad always never was afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, <laughs> all that's... They can say is no. All they can say is no. That's uh, some of the best advice that I've gotten as a business owner was from a very wise woman who once told me, if you don't ask, you don't get. You might get a no, but you'll never get a yes if you don't ask. So so, so totally great advice there. Yeah, that was number eight. Be bold, have that audacity, step out there, uh, you know, put your toes right on the edge, uh, so to speak. But, you know, another one that you listed there was be your best. You hear right. a lot about business. You you got to get 60, 70% of the way there. If you try to get 100% of the way there, you're never going to launch or you're never going to get to the next level of growth, whatever it is that you're striving for. But you say be your best. Uh, well, absolutely. Well, what that means is, is first of all, don't cut corners. Don't, don't look for the easy way out. And uh, so I, my dad, you know, and, and have high expectations for yourself. And high expectations for, you know, and, and hang around with people that have high expectations for you. You know, I, I've continually, because all my life has either been managing people or, you know, I've made my whole life out of trying to get the best, get people to get the best out of themselves. And what I found continually is, is that 90% of our limitations are self-imposed. So true. They're self-imposed. I mean, as I said in that thing about being bold, my dad I said, most people say those things, that can't happen for me. And my dad taught me to think, why not me? And so that is the, you know, the, to me is, the, is what it means to be your best. But I mean, it, you know, 
Um, but you have to get it. You, you know, I talk about this in my in my book, Business Secrets, about this uh, contest that I did at a company. There was about 25 young salespeople, and I threw this com- this challenge out where one person was going to have to take the challenge, and they were going to have to challenge the rest of the sales force and say, "I'm going to beat your butt. So <laughs> I'm, I'm number one. I'm going to do it." You know. And this young guy um, um, who uh, had who was actually not was, was not well educated. Frankly, I got to know him pretty well. He was nothing exceptional in intelligence. He uh, was average in intelligence. He um, and he had up to that point he had been at the bottom of the pack. And he took the challenge and he went for it and he and he won the contest. And after that, he was on fire. He'd win every week and every month. And finally, I went to him one day and I said, "Hey, I got to ask you." I said, "You know, you were at the bottom of the pack. Now you're number one or number two all the time." And he looked up at me, and he said he had kind of tears in his eyes. And he said, Augie, he said, once you know what it feels like to be your best, you never, ever want to go back. Mm. Something else that you talk about in your book, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, and that is aim past the target. Talk to us about that. What I fundamentally say in my Brother John essay, which became my Brother John book, is that the purpose of life is not different for different, it's not different strokes for different folks, as much as we like relativism, you know. It is, we're all here to be the best human being we can possibly be. And I define that as, I also call that self-transcendence. Every human being is here on the earth for the same reason. We're all here to self for self-transcendence. And I, as I moved on to my sec, my book, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, I put a, a finer spin on it. And I said, what is self-transcendence? It's when we transform ourselves from being selfish people into selfless people. The more selfless we are, the more, you know, more, the more complete we are as a human being. We're here to become, transcend our selfish motivations and become more selfless. And um, so I constantly advise people, as I mentioned to you before we went on the air, I, mentioned, I was t- being interviewed by a young man who is um, studying in his graduate school in business and wants to be an entrepreneur. And at the end of the interview, he said, he said, well, I'm really great, great to talk to you. He said, I really want to, what I want is to work on my dream, which my dream is to be um, an entrepreneur and have to come up with a company and everything. I said, Grady, his name was Grady. Grady. I said, Grady, that's, that's great. I said, but let me suggest something even bigger. Make your project, your entrepreneurial project should be Grady. Dedicate yourself to being the best Grady you can possibly be. Aim past the target of being an entrepreneur. Because if you become the best human being you can possibly be in every way, shape, or form that you can be that, that will spill over. And you, and you, being an entrepreneur will become the uh, trailing indicator, the byproduct. You being the best you can be. Aim for wisdom. Aim for wisdom. And if you have wisdom, you have wisdom to be a great entrepreneur, and you have a wisdom to be a good husband, and you have wisdom to be a good father, and you have a good business to be a good community member, or whatever else you might you might decide that you want to do. But when you just aim for something uh, like uh, like just being an entrepreneur, you're actually putting yourself in a box. You know, aim for aim past that target. You know, as I said in my book, I said in in basketball we're told to aim for the back of the rim, in golf we're told to putt towards the back of the cup. In archery, aim past the target. Aim past what you're trying to learn. And as I mentioned, Father Francis down at the monastery, my hero, uh, the abbot of the monastery, Mepkin Abbey, where I uh, go, he's since passed away, unfortunately, God bless him. He said, he used to tell the monks, your God is too small. You know, I'm constantly trying to convince people that their dreams are too small. 
You know, getting becoming a millionaire is a very tiny dream. It, right. It, it may yeah. seem like it's big, but no, it's you know big. You know, if you're if you make yourself into a is a big a person, work on yourself. And if you go back through history, all the greatest people, whether it's um, Socrates or Christ or uh, Ben Franklin or, or, or John Adams, used to ride around on horseback and he'd, have, he'd keep in a in his vest pocket a list of all the character flaws he was working on all the time. And he'd pull it out of his pocket five, six, ten times a day, and he'd go back over thinking, how can I become more patient? How can I become more listener, a better listener? All these kinds of things. Make yourself a better person. I've heard you talk about it before, resume achievement versus legacy. You know, when you think bigger, when you aim past your target, you really get into that more sustaining, uh, something that's going to carry on beyond you as opposed to just the resume. Absolutely. Um, You know, who wants to die and then have somebody stand up and say, wow, you know, he got two promotions in one year 30 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Is that what you want to be remembered for? No. You know, so I I believe that it's this qualitative things about us. But I think there's even a bigger, bigger issue here. You know, I'm going to be speaking at a conference uh, a couple of weeks from now in Houston, Texas, actually. And what I'm going to be talking about is who am I? The, the who am I question, how do you apply it to your own personal life and how do you apply it to business? And and business is pretty easy because my old mentor, Louis R. Mobley, who founded the IBM Executive School and ran it for 10 years, you know, he was to pound the table all the time. And he say the most important job for leadership in a corporation or a business or even a nonprofit, whatever, any organization is what, to answer, to ask the question continually, what is the business of the business? What is the business of the business? And when I was just a young man and listening to him talk, you know, I thought, he, you know, he's saying, what do we stand for? Why are we in business? What's the purpose of it? Why are, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? What is our mission? And I thought, whoa, 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 man, he's just asking the who am I question collectively. Instead of yes. saying, who am I, he's asking, he's saying that, that, that people in business should be asking, who are we? And so I'm going to be talking also about the who am I question. Because the, the clearest and the most important job, that if you want to be the best person you can possibly be, you have to answer the question, who am I? And you have to answer it correctly. I went to college, and one of the, everybody back then was reading Hermann Hess, uh, the German writer. Yes. And he wrote Siddhartha. And, and anyway, one of the books he wrote, Steppenwolf, and one of the books he wrote, uh, obviously the rock band Steppenwolf named just the, after, the, after that book, but he had a book called Demian. And, um, and the inscription on the first page, all by itself, which later Demian says inside the book, is all... I ever wanted was to live in accordance with my own true self. Why was that so very difficult? I want to repeat that. All I ever wanted was to live in accordance with my own true self. Why is that so very difficult? And I, and that just resonated with me in about 15,000 layers. And I realized, I don't know if I realized then, but it's a life's quest. All I can say to people is if you if you accept that challenge, if you if you really start there with who am I and what you know and ask those those profound questions and stay with them, every you know this this is my equivalent of when Christians say seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will take care of itself. Seek to, seek to live in accordance with your own true self and everything else will take care of itself. Um, and that leads me right into the next lesson with your father. And 
you talk about how he says uh, that there's value in the struggle. And, and you mentioned that being that true to yourself is that that can be a struggle. It, it sounds simple, but it's a struggle. So, so talk to us about the value of the struggle. Well, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a number of secret um, subcontexts. You know, I'm kind of taking some jabs at our modern society in that article. We're not supposed to criticize. Everybody's supposed to get a trophy and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm taking a. Um, the, but the other thing is, and I'm, I'm kind of taking. I'm kind of taking a little bit of it, not a jab, but I'm uh, trying to get some advice to what are called helicopter parents. You know, yes, the the. Um, what I just read just the other day was oh, it was Seneca, uh, the great philosopher Seneca said that the he felt sorry for people that never had to struggle because they never they never know what they're made of they never find out what they're made of and um, so I said my father had a gift for knowing when to intervene and when to let me struggle well I won a scholarship to go to this exclusive New England prep school called Hotchkiss up in uh, New England when I was uh, only fourteen. And I went from being the uh, big, you know, the big fish in a small pond to being this, a small floundering fish in a big pond. And uh, for the first time in my life, I knew what real failure was like, and I was terribly unhappy for the first, and terribly homesick for the first two, first two years. And I burned up the telephone, uh, begging my parents to let me come home. And every time I came home for a vacation or I came home for the summer, I swore up and down that I wasn't going back. And my parents, you know, wouldn't hear it. And they just kept, you know, and then in my, finally in my senior year, I turned everything around and uh, I had a you know, wonderful experience my senior year. And I look at it as incredibly, as one of the two or three most pivotal. If I had come home, my life would have been absolutely different. The worst thing I could have ever done was quit and come home, which is yeah. Said my dad was my dad. I was my old. My dad had eight children. He had seven boys in a row, and then a, then a girl. And uh, I was the oldest, still the oldest. And um, and I know how much he cared about me, and how much he, his hopes were wrapped up in me. Um, and though he was sympathetic, he knew how to let me twist in the wind when when he thought it was going to be good for me. And so I had to fight it out for those two years. Um, and yeah. and, it, and, it's, and I found out that. There's at least to an extent that Nietzsche is right. Whatever doesn't destroy you makes you stronger. And I, I really came through that and learned a tremendously valuable lesson uh, from it. And that happens in leadership. Knowing when to intervene and knowing when to let someone struggle in a, in a business context is also critically important. And, um, you know, we can always, you know, we, you can go wrong in either sense. You can either let somebody fail uh, who needs some who needs a helping hand that should have a helping hand, or you can just rush in and out of mis- misplaced um, compassion and buffer the person. And I think a lot of what we do in our society now is what I consider misplaced compassion. We are we really want to buffer everyone from everything. Something goes hand in hand with what you're talking about here with the value of struggle. You also talk about the X factor of leadership, which is the human spirit. And talk about how that factors into these times of struggle and and not just with individuals, but in cultures, in 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 big civilizations. Yes. I mean, I said, I'm not, you know, as I started that article out, there's another article at Forbes called The X Factor of of Leadership. And I said, you know, I'm not a cultural relativist. I don't think all cultures are are, um, equal. I don't think all corporate cultures are equal. Some are downright toxic and some are very, very, you know, growth-oriented and healthy. 
in the same sense, I think um, larger cultures, you know, a culture that practices human um, sacrifice is not equal to one that doesn't, you know, everything else being right. equal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I said, um, I'm not a cultural relativist. Um, but I said, what really strikes me is, is, is interesting is some cultures succumb while other cultures, you know, overcome. And I used three different examples from the Romans and the, um, you know, I'll just tell one here for the interest of time. Japan was just pummeled into ashes uh, by World War II. Unbelievable uh, firebombings of their cities plus the decimation of their population. And then finally, just for the cherry on top, we dropped two atomic bombs on them. But within a few years, the, uh, the, this tiny island, which is what, about the size of Rhode Island, that doesn't have any natural resources to speak of, but a little bit of coal, ends up with the second biggest economy in the world. Why? And I said that, you know, what we, can't, we, we, all, we basically live in a Marxist society, whether we realize it or not, because Marx thought that everything was, he was a Newtonian, he's coming out of Newtonian physics, billiard ball, everything has a cause and effect, and the causes of history is a, is a science, and, and, um, and people don't make history, history makes people. And everything is um, these, these great causes um, that, uh, in history is a machine, deterministic. And uh, I don't believe that. I don't disagree with um, uh, the idea that we need policies and procedures and inputs and investments and, and, um, and compensation plans. But what really needs to be nurtured is what I call the bottom-up human spirit, the X factor that we can't really understand why. And I said, there is, but there is ways of nurturing this human spirit that is indomitable. Uh, what is something that you would encourage our listeners to work on, to, to do that could have an immediate difference in their lives? And I'm going to say lives and not businesses, because well, we're going to go I'm gonna give you, higher. I'm going, you, I'm going to give you real quickly, I'm going to give you a philosophy, and then I'm going to give you a specific, all right? Mm-hmm. Philosophy I'm going to give you is, is Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not a choice; it's a habit. You you don't you don't do excellent; you become excellent. And the best way to do that is to have a discipline in your life where you help other people every single day, where you you gradually transform yourself into someone who's always thinking about themselves to somebody who's always thinking about other people first. And if you do that, I can guarantee you that your life will take off. And it has to be, you, you have to transform yourself into somebody that's sincere about it. It's not a gimmick. It's not a little game that you help the little old lady across the street and then go buy a lottery ticket because you've earned it. Um, no, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. But if you really, you know, get to the point where you get to a, a leader, as a leader, for example, and I can honestly say that I'm at this point in my life, I can honestly say that as a leader, I genuinely enjoy seeing other people succeed more than I enjoy succeeding myself. And the more well in their success, you do succeed. No, exactly. And the more you get like that, the more success you get, and it just comes to you and happens to you. The other thing, the specific thing that I cannot pound the table hard enough: write handwritten thank you notes to people. They are the cheapest, the most effective, the most amazing things that that, that you can possibly do, and it's so easy to just keep them on your desk and send out a couple a day. Look for excuses to send them, not excuses to not send them. And it's so easy it's a, for, a, for a 50 cents, you know, a stamp. But it has to be handwritten, has to go out in the, in the snail mail. Um, and my corollary to that is 
look around um, for people to thank for you know to congratulate for their but don't tell them tell their boss do that do those two things send handwritten thank you notes and tell people's bosses what how, what great work they're doing and I said you that'll pay dividends a million percent so as we wrap up here, last thing, what is your website so that, because you've talked about a few different articles that you've written, but they're also on your website. So one place that people can go to, to get your book, to, uh, right, to now, see your blogs. This is my and, chance for my plug. So first of all, my, your plug. Yes. Uh, my books are Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks. It comes from Columbia University Press, the Columbia Business School, and Brother John, A Monk, A Pilgrim, and the Purpose of Life. You can find out lots more, more about me than you probably care to know at www.augustturak, that's August like the month, Turak, T is in Tom, U-R-A-K, it's one word, augustturak.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn, et cetera, too. All of those will be in all that information and links will be in the show notes. And so uh, anyone who's listening, just go to your favorite player and, and look at the show notes and it'll all those links will be right there. Augie, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, and I'm serious, if you want to come back and chat some more, very I'll happy. I'll come back, Kelly. You're my favorite. I take that as a great compliment, but uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics, or to subscribe to the Talking Business Now newsletter or podcast, please visit my website at interrobangsolutions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. Interrobangsolutions.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.